Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. Make It Plain. M-I-P. With Massimella Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get woke. Good morning. The nation in utter turmoil brought about by Donald Trump. On yesterday, he encouraged people to storm the Capitol and then retreated to the White House itself. America's own democracy turning on itself, turning inside out. The very people that America was set up to protect, not my people, but the people who were demonstrating yesterday were tearing up the very U.S. Capitol. That that says a lot. And I think we all have to admit, let's be honest with ourselves. If these had been African-Americans, the police would have shot them. The authorities would have shot them. And why were the authorities so unprepared? Do they really believe that whites are not capable of violence after what just happened in my hometown of Nashville? Where, by the way, there's no terrorism charge. Because the businesses that were destroyed can't collect terrorism insurance because they didn't buy terrorism insurance. The country is torn up. We, we better hope that something happens. Uh, I'm a minister, so I pray. I don't know whether you do. You don't have to. I don't make people do it. But we need to figure something out. In the meantime, there is an agenda. So we didn't want to split this up. Day two of our town hall with some of the civil rights community and activists and Black Lives Matter community about what this election means, what Joe Biden's election means, even after we now know that the Democrats will control the Senate. But will they? Can anyone control anything 
based upon what happened on Capitol Hill yesterday. Part two of our panel. And then Marcos will be with us on Friday and others. We're, we're going to we're going to stay on this and, and get into this. I want to move to uh, Larry Hamm. He is a chairman of the People's Organization for Progress in Newark, New Jersey. And of course, Newark, New Jersey has been very, very um, kind to the Institute of the Black World. Um, Larry, I want to know what impact the election will have on the work of the People's Organization for Progress, especially as it relates to advancing progressive policies in Newark and in the state of New Jersey. Larry Hamm, are you there? Thank you. Can you hear me now? We can hear you. Yes, okay. absolutely. Thank you. Um, the election has had a, a positive impact in the sense that it has um, propelled us into the streets. We did a lot of voter registration uh, from June the 8th until uh, the last date of voter registration. And this also served as a basis uh, for community organizing. So the election helped us in our community organizing work and in our base building. But I just wanna say a word that the election isn't over. I know that uh, AP is saying that uh, Biden is 264 electoral votes. He's six votes away from 270. But I, I just wanna caution people. Um, I don't think Donald Trump is gonna let go. I, th I think he's gonna be holding on this thing until the end and that we have to remain vigilant and do what is ever, whatever is necessary to preserve the democratic process. Uh, there are still things, even if Biden gets the 270 electoral college votes, there are still things that um, Trump can do to undermine democracy. So I think that we have to be on guard and maybe have some discussions in the near future as to how to respond if Trump, in fact, uh, tries to steal the election either uh, through a maneuver in the Electoral College or through the Supreme Court. I mean, he openly said that's why he put Amy Coleman Barrett on the Supreme Court so that she would be there uh, to rule in his favor if the case um, with the election came before the Supreme Court. And also the possibility that, you know, this thing might even go into the House of Representatives. So I think that we have to be on guard. One of the things that the Biden-Harris team uh, focused on in their uh, uh, public policy and the things they highlight, one of the things they highlighted in their uh, media outreach was police brutality. And I like the fact that uh, Kamala Harris uh, said that we need a, needed a national standard on the use of force. I agree with that. And we'll, we will be supportive of that. In Newark, New Jersey, we're struggling just to get community control over the police, which we had a police review board. We had a police review board with subpoena power that Mayor Baraka uh, put into place through executive order that the city council made permanent. And the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge number 12 uh, went into court and went all the way up to the state Supreme Court. And the state Supreme Court ruled that Newark's police review board could not have subpoena power. So now we're focusing on the state legislature to try to get some legislation introduced and passed that will help communities create police review boards, give them some degree of community control, civilian oversight of the police, but they need subpoena power. So that's gonna be a critical fight for us in the coming days. 
Larry, we appreciate you and your, we appreciate your activism, Mark. All right, thank you. Thank you, Brother Larry. Uh, Sister Frederica May, who yes, also sir. was very instrumental in the Million Man March um, 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, one of the forgotten struggles, not forgotten, but you know, the, the new shiny object in the news cycle always overtakes stuff we still working on. And you've been trying to get justice for homeowners for a long time, especially since the recession um, and, and whatnot. Um, and again, these things get overshadowed by whatever the next crisis is in the world in America. But how will this election impact um, the work you've been doing to continue to get justice for black homeowners? Thank you so much. And I can't thank uh, Dr. Daniels enough and the organizers for this powerful, powerful uh, evening and night and town hall national. Um, my compounding the uh, housing project, uh, housing piece is of course the pandemic that has now uh, really affected my family. Um, we have a family house, Mark, in Newark for 60 years that's been paid for, for 50 years, no mortgage. And our family still occupies that house. It's been passed down from my mother and father. Um, now my oldest sister, 82 years old, who lives in the house with family has tested positive for the virus. Mm. I <laughs> I'm sorry. Take your time. Because today her daughter, my niece, was tested positive for the virus. And I was struggling about whether I would be on the tonight or not, but I'm so happy to be here. Um and just th there's just really two things that I want to say as far as the housing is concerned and the foreclosures and the fraudulent. And I want to thank Larry so much and certainly thank the mayor and Mildred Crump because they have hosted us our meetings for the last two years um, and given us more support than I can uh, talk about. But I want to talk about uh, Kamala Harris and this 2020 election, regardless to who wins as everybody says, and knows that we will only have the positive effect that we African people demand. Kamala Harris fought the good fight and she won in California over the big banks. The girl got up from the table and walked out of negotiations doing and turning down billions of dollars saying it ain't enough. So she defied President Obama who she strongly supported when she, he urged her to take less than the $25 billion, which she ultimately won. She spoke of the heat she talked for briefly pulling the state of California out of the settlement talks. Kamala Harris's hardball tactics paid off and brought $25 billion in financial relief to California homeowners. Why has this not happened? 
in New Jersey. And I think Larry knows why it hasn't happened in New Jersey with the Republican or Democratic governors. So the New Jersey Coalition for Due Process of Law is asking all within this national town hall meeting audience to support our demand to Governor Philip D. Murphy to extend the COVID-19 executive order moratorium on foreclosures to include banks must prior to filing for foreclosures, they must prove that they own the property. They must prove standing, consideration. They must produce the original note and mortgage that shows ownership as Governor Cuomo in New York did. That is the equivalent of what Kamala Harris did in California and that is black power. Frederica, we appreciate, we appreciate your work so very much. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your comments about home ownership. I'm gonna to move to uh, the, pres the president and CEO of uh, the National Council of Negro Women, uh, my colleague, my dear friend, Janice Mathis. And I wanna ask you, Janice, in light of everything that's happened, what is the status of black women? Are we better off? Are we worse off? You know, we, you and I talk about this all the time, but what are you thinking as you look at this election? What up? Well, thank you for being a longtime friend and colleague. And you're right, we talk about this stuff all the time. But as I look over this, you know, black women in South Carolina selected Joe Biden to be the nominee, essentially. It was black women in South Carolina who put him back in the game when it looked like he was down for the count. And it was black women who demanded that a black woman be on the ticket as vice president with him. The history will eventually be written. It was black women, I think Melanie has already mentioned in Alabama and Virginia who have, in spite of itself, guided the Democratic Party in a more reasonable direction. But having said all that, that means we got some kind of seat at the table. It might be one of those folding chairs that, that, that they talk about. <laughs> it may not be a permanent seat. But the fact of the matter is now that we are part of a long continuum, Julianne, Mary McLeod Bethune was whispering in the ear of, Fred, of Roosevelt 60 years ago. And my mother didn't start voting until 1948. And so whether we finish the job or not, we know that we've got to try to restore the Voting Rights Act. And I think about all the work that Barbara Armwine has been doing and others. We got to fight for economic justice. Black, white, male, female, working people have lost a third of their income over the last 30 years. You know it better than I do. And we act like there's something wrong with us when we demand better healthcare, better housing, better education, as if we're asking for a gift, we're simply asking for what our tax dollars have already What's paid fair? for. What's fair? You know, yeah, right. as long as black women are making 62 cents on the dollar that a white man makes, as long as a brother with a college degree has a harder time getting a job than a white male dropout from the eighth grade, we still have lots and lots of work to do. And so it means, you know, it's heartwarming to see this gathering. I'm so grateful to be part of it. But it is also incumbent on us, all these organizations we got, 
we know what our agenda, economic justice, criminal justice, environmental justice, we got reapportionment and redistricting staring us down. We, we still got to deal apparently with Mitch McConnell in the Senate and the Supreme Court. There's so much work to be done that we really can't sit back and say, oh, we so cool. We got black girl magic because there's so much more work to be done. And it is a misnomer. I'm a feminist, been one all my life, but we can't do this by ourselves without our brothers. We don't yeah. want to do it as a matter of fact, because right. we don't want to do it by ourselves and we shouldn't have to, and we're not doing it alone. And we should not let people divide us from each other in order to conquer us with this, you know, 20% of black men voted for, well, you probably could have got 20% of black men to vote for Mickey Mouse. You know, that, let, me, let me just interrupt you on that because that I was going to follow up with you, ask you the, I mean, first of all, how do you have excess polls when people didn't exit? So I think that there's oh. issues about these polls, but if 18% or 20% of black men voted for the orange orangutan um, and only 8% of black women did, and I don't even believe that. They said it went up from four to eight. What's going on with black men and black women around this election? Black folk are no less susceptible to propaganda and lying politicians than any other kind of people. <laughs> they are no less susceptible to fake news than any, you're gonna get a minority, you're gonna get a few, you're gonna be able to fool some of the people all the time. And so the glamour and glitz that goes with the rap, you know, we teamed up with a rapper, young fella named Yellow Pain out of, um, out of Ohio, who was doing Yellow some very powerful, Yellow Pain got half a color bananas, but he came up with some very powerful rhymes and music to talk to young people about the responsibility for civic And we got to go back to what we call freedom schools. You can, it is our turn to run this government. This is, this has now become a black and brown. We are the majority. We are no longer, if the country is going to be run, it's going to be because we're going to be run. There are no more women's issues. Everything from the defense budget to the environment, every issue is a woman's issue and more particularly a black woman's issue. These folk have demonstrated over the last 20 years or so that they're not capable, they're not competent to run this country. So now it's our turn to do it. And we carry some, I say, can't shirk from it. Joe Lowry and I shared an office for many years in Atlanta. And the one thing he said to me that I will always treasure, he said the number one characteristic of leadership is courage. This is a season for courage and it's a season for us coming together and putting whatever our differences might be aside so that we can um, preserve what is our heritage. A free Negro named Luke Avery left Virginia in 1780 and moved to South Carolina, who was my forebear. I am more American than, than anybody at the White House. Let's not call the White House. Let's call the house that enslaved people built. And well, let me put I'm with that back. program. I'm with that program too. <laughs> I'm with that Mark, program too. Right. Mark Thompson, let me throw it back to you. <laughs> All right. Um, Dr. S. Todd Yeary, my brother. Um, want to ask you this question. How can the African-American electorate, um, which is continuing to play a life-saving role for the Democrats, how can we play this life-saving role? You and I talked about this on the phone a little bit earlier today. 
Um, how can we play this life-saving role and then simultaneously hold the Democratic Party accountable? Yeah, that's, uh, that's the question. I would say it's, it's to hold the democratic process accountable. Because we are largely uh, affiliated with the Democratic Party, that becomes the primary mechanism, but it should not be the exclusive one. And I would pick up on uh, my big sister Janice Matheson's last point about freedom schools. One, we've got to get back to a, a large scale, broad based civic education. Very often what we do is we leave accountability to uh, the episodic engagement that happens every four years or so. And then we leave the middle part out. Uh, my big brother Larry Ham would talk about this, I'm sure, uh, that uh, we've got to get back to engaging uh, every year, every session, every legislative body meeting, every public hearing, uh, making sure that we are physically present in the room where it happens to uh, take uh, a line from uh, uh, the Broadway musical Hamilton. One of the things that I often say is that uh, Parker Brothers came out with a board game uh, many years ago. And the board game has changed its appearance a few times, but the rules have not been changed yet. And that game is Monopoly. And we got to break the mindset of thinking that somehow or other this game called politics is about anything other than Monopoly. We cannot win this game with a mindset that says we're only trying to survive long enough to tip through the neighborhoods where they don't want us on Park Place and Boardwalk just to live long enough to pass go collect $200. Forget about building those purple properties right there after you pass go, hope to land on chance, get a get out of jail free card, land on community chest, get a little help with the light bill and think that somehow or other we're going to win. If we don't come up with a comprehensive strategy and to understand that politics is the equivalent of economics, it is a framework that protects the interest, then we will never get what we're supposed to have. We have to remember that in contract law, the way you have a valid contract, there's an offer and acceptance with consideration. We keep giving the exchange, but we don't ever get anything in return. What do we get back now for having protected the integrity of the electoral process and to make sure that we rid ourselves of the burden of a presidency that has taken us so far back in time that the dinosaurs could come back to life? And so we've got to wrestle with this thing to be better at civics all the way around, not just elections. What happened down ballot? We got to remember in 1994, everybody talked about the crime bill. Uh, but the other thing that happened in 1994 is that there was a 20th century bounty placed on democracy in America. And it was called the contract with America. It was actually the contract on America. And it now has 21st century implications because state houses, state courts, have been stacked and packed against the interest of black and brown people and has been reinforced time and time again. And so if we don't get out of this notion of uh, having this populist, uh, somewhat reality TV mindset every four years for who's gonna sit in the big chair, uh, we're gonna find ourselves going into the 21st century slavery that is not gonna have a plantation per se, but it is going to have the same consequential effect and limit the economic possibilities of our communities and our people for generations to come. Good point, Todd Yeri, especially around the issue of um, the long, the long term. Yeah. The long term. This is what we haven't paid paid a lot of attention to, and the Republicans, frankly, have paid a lot of attention to it. The Reagan Revolution of 1980 is now uh, basically bearing fruit the Reg uh, Reagan 
Dr. Malvo, go to Pastor Mike next, please. Okay, uh, Pastor Mike. Yeah, I think it would be great for us, uh, even as we talk about uh, how we, we move these agendas along, to keep reminding ourselves that there are multiple constituencies within the Black community, and particularly with Black men. Um, I think it's really important for our analysis to continue to hold that a lot of our young Black men and o older Black men uh, are still bearing within their body and their families and their psyche the kind of policy decisions that have been championed by Democrats and others that have led to not only our mass incarceration, but our continued mass criminalization. And we still have not come to grips with that, even with apologies <laughs> or much less reparations of radical repairing of how we are building the social contract with black men who are continually finding themselves in the crosshairs of these kinds of systems. I've talked to black men on our tour and you know, just in our gun violence prevention work, and they told me, a couple of them said, no one comes to talk to me after the election. The only time I hear from people about political participation is when it's time to vote for a president. But nobody comes to the hood, none of your organizations, none of you preachers, none of you activists come to the hood to actually talk to me about how my life can be saved from the pathology that I myself may participate in or that is lumped upon me without uh, my request. And so I do think our analysis has to also take into consideration that reality. And then I'll also finally say, I do believe the first 100 days of this next presidential administration transition uh, needs, to, needs to have a united front by us as black people and black organizations around a couple of things that we all can agree upon to show up together across the country to ensure that we capture as a reward for our vote. We should not have 10 agendas and 10 organizations and 10 campaigns in the first 100 days uh, that allow ourselves to be neutralized as we have demonstrated the power of our collectivity. And so uh, I do hope that uh, the Black Church PAC and uh, many of the other organizations that we already work with collectively here together, we can help uh, align and inform plans um, and I know there are great plans that the NAACP, the Move for Black Lives, the Urban League, uh, Proctor Conference, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Dr. Barbara, uh, Arwine, and others have pulled together. But I do think we should coalesce around a couple of issues for the first 100 days that allows us to show up together with power and demand and extract something that is tangible and creates material conditions for our people. And so organizing specifically with Black men in the hood beyond elections and showing up together in the first 100 days, I think will be two concrete things we should be thinking about doing together. Um, Pastor, Pastor Mike. Mike, let me just ask you a quick follow-up question. So you, you're focusing on black men. What about black women in your agenda? Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I want to focus on black women, of course. I mean, I think it, it, it in my agenda, it goes without saying. I think what I want to think about it from a targeted perspective, though, is we're talking, we're trying to discern why is it that black men seem to be susceptible to some of these propaganda efforts related to uh, their political participation. And I think it goes without saying, at least I hope we appreciate, that there is an underclass of black men in urban neighborhoods on street corners that no one speaks to ever. No one, none of us speak to them. And it's not suggested we don't speak to black, black young women and girls in the hood either. But there is a particular unique engagement that we have to, as a movement, do with young black men who are caught in the cycles of violence, caught in the cycles of 
of police uh, uh, and state violence that is disproportionate and it is consistent. And I think we should not not view, view it as an either or, but as a both and. And there must be a targeted effort to do that. And uh, I hope we can hold that as a movement and not feel it to be uh, one that forces us to choose, uh, particularly with the black male underclass who are young, 18 to 35 or 40. This is a very unique population. They have a level of anger, frustration, and invisibility uh, and disposability that I think right. we must attend to if we're going to be coalesce the power we need to have. Um, we got to move. Okay, that's another conversation we're going to have. Uh, Reverend, Reverend Mark, let, let me uh, push it back to you. Okay, thank you. Um, 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 we're going to move quickly. Uh, Jasiri X, you kind of touched on it before, but but talk to us a little bit more about what role you envision uh, progressive hip hop artists playing going forward to properly advance the interests of our people. Um, you know, Mark, I mean, hip hop has always been a soundtrack to the movement. And so um, I feel like part of what, um, you know, progressive hip hop artists are doing are, you know, making the songs that are relevant to today's in today's times, even what you might, I mean, you know, it was a, a hip hop artist, a trap artist named Lil Baby, um, who you might not consider to be somebody that's socially conscious, but he did a song called The Bigger Picture that really spoke to this time and this moment, you know what I'm saying? So I think one, we should encourage those artists when they do step out of that box, you know, some of the more popular artists, some of the artists that we might not think uh, would do that type of songs, we need to support those artists when they do step up and make music for the time. And then we need to promote these artists that are, are, are using their platform. Because I think right now with social media, when you have an artist, you have a platform, it's not even just about the music that you drop. You know, it's also about, are we supporting black businesses and black designers, you know, with what we're wearing, you know what I'm saying? Are we encouraging people uh, um, to, 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 to be on the front lines to some of these movements, whether it's be, about police performance, you know, shit. We might have to go to DC to, to rally to get this dude out of the White House. I mean, this dude, this dude might not go, might not leave. You know, and we might have to get together and say, no, we're coming to the So I just continue to make music that's relevant. You know, Nina Simone said, man, it's an artist's responsibility to speak to the time. And we have to continue to speak to the time and we have to continue to use our platforms uh, to push change and create change. You know, shout out to like, like Cardi B is another artist that, you know, we, you might not agree necessarily or play all her music, but Cardi B is using her platform to speak to real issues that are affecting our community. And when artists like that do that, we need to support them. We need to encourage them. And we need to um, also, you know, when these artists drop songs that are relevant to the movement, Buy the songs, support the music, use our platform to push them. I know you do that, Mark, all the time with your radio show. I've been on your radio show and you use your platform to support artists like us. So I just want to publicly thank you for always being that person that reaches out to artists, man, and, and using your platform uh, um, uh, to support us. Thank you, brother. Appreciate your words. We're going to get together on that, too. Absolutely. Dr. Malvo. So uh, are there two... Yeah, there are two sisters I want to get to. First of all, Barbara Arnwine, uh, she has been at the front lines of all of this work around the election, and she's been listening uh, both to what's going on on CNN and every place else. Barbara, what are our marching orders in the next um, few days? What are we supposed to do? Couple things. One, Barbara Arnwine. Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you fine, girly. Okay, so first of all, 
We really must, thank you so much, Dr. Malvo. We really must, uh, first of all, tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow, we gotta get out the word to everybody who cast those provisional ballots that they have until five o'clock in most of these states to clear up issues of ID, address, et cetera. That's important. They can go to ballot, B-A-L-L-O-T tracks, T-R-A-X, to find out what's happened with their ballot. They got to do that. There's thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of these ballots sitting out there, hundreds of thousands. So people need to do that. The second thing is that we need to take a long view. It's going to get ugly. All these court cases, you know, the president has been uh, acting up since we've been on this program. He's given a press conference. He denounced Detroit, Philadelphia, <laughs> uh, you know, which means black people. Uh, he denounced them during this yeah. uh, press conference. He's going to just whip up a lot of hate. There's going to be some ugly stuff in the streets. Uh, some people are going to get hurt because these are crazy people that he's whipping up. And so we got to be protective. We got to be smart about our security. We got to be on it. The last thing is, I just want everybody to know these cases are bogus. They're stupid. They're not going to go anywhere. He keeps talking about how it's going to ultimately be decided by the courts. There's nothing to decide. Uh, you know, we did a too good a job for them to run the kind of legal strategy they originally thought they would run. But in the first 100 days, I want us to really focus not only on, I know a lot of people are going to be talking about legislation, but we need to go for some executive orders that will, it, that will address a lot of the issues that we care about. There's a lot of executive power that we've learned that the president has and that he can use instead of our fighting through a Congress that may have a crazy Senate. And by the way, this election is not over. Remember that we got a runoff in January over the Senate. So we won't be through this particular election until 2021. So I just you know, want us to really think about those executive orders. We need, we know we got to fix the Voting Rights Act. We know we got to pass some version of revised version of HR1. We need a very better version of the George uh, Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act. There's a whole lot of stuff that we should be on top of in addition to who gets appointed, judges, all these other big issues. We got to be on these exact orders. It's, I mean, ASAP. Barbara, okay, Barbara, let's say, let's say that Biden wins. Let's say that. Let's be optimistic. But the Senate is held Republican. Yes. The House is marginally Democratic. What can Biden do under these circumstances? And what does that mean to us? What does it mean to HR 40 and reparations? What does it mean to all the work we have to do? Well, Mark, forgive me. I over you, but I just, I have to ask her this. No, no, a couple of things. I mean, the president nominates judges. Uh, the Senate, of course, has to confirm them. So that's a whole, you know, a belly, a belly wick that we got to think about. But the other thing that I really, you know, want to emphasize is this president has passed something like 300 exec orders. We got to rescind a lot of them and we got to put into place some new ones. And the House can do a lot I think the House has not fully learned how to use their power correctly. 
Uh, there's a lot they can do to help with voters and to help, you know, fight some of this um, disinformation and all the other problems we have because we got to be building voting power for the 2021 elections. Don't forget, there's a hundred mayoral elections. Don't forget, there's two major states that will have statewide elections. Don't forget that you'll be voting for, uh, you know, the Virginia and New Jersey and all of those and Kentucky's governorship, all that stuff will be up in 2021. So there's a lot that can be done uh, to help you know, voters to be stronger. Uh, but I really am insistent, Julianne, that we look at the executive power and that we force it and that we look at the uh, executive power within the federal agencies and that we enforce a lot more of that. Uh, I think that's where we've been uh, really blocked. And frankly, I didn't think Obama did enough of that. He could have done so much more. There's a lot of power in that uh, presidency that we left on the table in 2008 through 2016 that we now can retool and can re. Uh, right. But Barbara, you know you're not supposed to say that out loud about Obama, don't you? Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, Mark. You miss it. All right, look, folks, okay, we're very short on time. We've got three more panelists we want to get to. So I'm, I'm gonna ask each, each of you the question and then each of you just answer in order. First of all, Marbury, and always good to see you, sister. Tell us a bit more about how the movement for Black, for Black, Black Lives sees itself advancing its policy agenda in the aftermath of this election. That'll be the question for you. Larry Ham. the question for you is, what are the implications of this election for progressive black politics and progressive black political strategy moving forward? That's your question. And then Frederica Bay, um, do, you do you believe home ownership and justice for homeowners is high on the list of priorities for either the Dems or the Republicans? And if not, how do we make it so? So Mar we'll go in that order. Marbury, you first, folks, just a couple of minutes, please. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I'll be real quick. So the law, for, I mean, at MFB. Wait, wait a minute, who is that? Uh, this, who is, this is Kanani. She's oh, oh, <laughs> oh. That's um, what we want to see. We don't want to even say Marbury. That's what we want to say. <laughs> we, we all good now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, at MFBL, I think we have a really aggressive and bold policy agenda. We think it's not time to compromise. We think that the last summer has made clear that we can't compromise, that this system is not broken. It's a rotten system. Um, and that we have to not tweak at the edges. And so we have the BREATHE Act, which we are going to be introducing, hopefully, in Congress. Um, it is a, a, a defund the police kind of manifestation. So what does it mean to not only dismantle these systems, dismantle ICE, dismantle um, kind of massive military investments, but also create new investments. And so create new ways we invest in our people and have full healthcare for all of our people. We also are taking kind of our shot at environmental justice. We recognize that the environmental crisis is, is destroying our people in New Orleans and across the country. And that if we don't take bold and actionable steps right now and today, that we're gonna be, um, we're gonna be drowning literally. And so we really just to name that the action we want is bold action. We don't think it's a time for compromise. We recognize that the like, neoliberalism has won this election, um, but all fight is really for the abolition of white supremacy. And so we are going to wage that fight and we think there's an opening for it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Larry Hamm, progressive black politics. What are we going to do? Well, I think we have to get an agenda. Everybody has been talking about that. And um, I don't know if Mayor Baraka forward this information uh, to you, Mark or Dr. Daniels, but he is going to be convening a national black political convention. 
in 2021. So we think that that is a good um, vehicle for us to organize around and put together that agenda uh, that one of the other panelists said that we need so that we could have a united front. The other thing is we got to keep the pressure on. We got to keep the pressure on, you know, particularly from the progressive wing of the movement. I mean, number one, if Biden finally gets in there, there's going to be a tendency for people to say, all right, let's rest now. Let's not fight. But we can't do that. We got to keep fighting for economic justice, keep fighting for police brutality, uh, reform, deconstruction and reconstruction, and for economic justice. We getting ready to have a hurricane of evictions and foreclosures of our people because they've lost their jobs, they've lost their health care. So we got to keep the pressure on. We got to get the people in the street and keep them there next year. Right. And and Sister Frederica, justice for homeowners, the home ownership crisis. What? How has that on the agenda? What do we need to do to make it higher? Well, uh, Bill Clinton, who I never voted for ever, uh, he said one thing that was really right, that it's, well, better to be wrong and strong than to be weak and right. And the Democratic Party has been weak and right for all too long. I cannot hello, 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 agree hello. with the sister enough that talked about the uh, executive orders. This is what we've been trying to do in New Jersey to get Governor Murphy, who we didn't want to vote for, but we did because our folks told us he's the one and he was from Wall Street and he's shown it. You know, uh, there is no reason that we have worked so hard, paid our taxes, bought our homes, and then they allow this subprime mortgage, these predatory mortgages that, you know, they can't prove they own to be taken from our people. So uh, I can't wait <laughs> until we get what the sister was saying was right. Uh, Biden needs to come in there with executive orders. That's what we've been pressuring Governor Murphy to do. And he cannot come back to get our vote unless he does. Amen. Amen. We want to thank all of the panelists. We do appreciate each and every one of you. I'm sorry time is so short. Dr. Malvo. I believe you are now to introduce Dr. Danny Glover. Absolutely. And Mark, thank you and thank the panelists for their absolute um, cooperation and for their brilliance. And Danny Glover does needs no introduction whatsoever, but I'm proud to say that he's my homeboy. Uh, he's a native San Franciscan, just like me. And, uh, and he's an amazing brother who has been an activist, who has been with us at NARC, the National African-American Reparations Commission, who has been with the United Nations and who has been with so many more. I could go on and on, but I ain't gonna do that. I'm just gonna say, Danny, we love you. What you got to say? I mean, first of all, thank, thank you, Sister Malvo and Brother Mark, Reverend Mark. Um, thank you for uh, leading and orchestrating this extraordinary panel of uh, citizens, activists, citizens. Um, there was a lot to talk about. There's a great deal of what we have to deal with on the table. What do we do in the immediate ma um, aftermath of the election and hopefully the, the, uh, the presidency of Biden? What are, what are the demands of? What do, we, what do we ask for? How do we position our demands? How do we now shape the narrative? 
there's a battle out there in the street to shape the net metable, narrative, whether that battle was happening in the hallways of Congress, whether the battle's happening in, on the streets in Wall Street, as a whole narrative in our community as well. If Biden does win this election, we would have to think the Latinx community in Phoenix and in Arizona. Thank you. They were the ones who've been organizing for, for years and years and years, poor people, working people. We got to find and acknowledge that because Arizona was a key state. In fact, Trump is talking about having a recount in Arizona. So you know how key and important that was, where it was flipped. So we got to talk about a number of different things on that table. I didn't hear us talk about the issue of uh, mass incarceration. We didn't spend a great deal of time on that. Or more importantly, and just as importantly, as we talk about the, uh, um, from the schoolhouse to the jailhouse, we didn't talk about education and the danger this public education is. Is, is in right at this particular moment with the, with the uh, DeVos, uh, the uh, former secretary of education, who was a nightmare and everything else. You know, the NAACP has, has had a moratorium on charter school for profit. The whole thing is that pu public education for us who went to public education, public education, for the history of this country, there's always been a battle over part of publication. Who is, who, is the, who is supposed to be educated? Who needs to be educated? All these are questions that I think we're, that are shaping around that we're looking at this, you know? There's work being doing now. The Sixth District Court in, in, out of uh, Michigan, out of Michigan, laid the groundwork for foundational education as a constitutional right. There's no national education plan in here. The federal government, direct federal intervention in education, money going to directly to communities, not through the various other kind of channels that it has been, is one solution and one thing we can talk about. There's so many different ways, but the fact, the fact is that we're, st we're having a conversation and we have to find, form these alliances that, that are essential, you know, that what did King say in his last book, where do we go from here? Chaos of community. We have the opportunity to not, not only build community within the Africans, American, the, those that those struggle of formerly enslaved Africans and the other communities of change, progressive communities of change as, as well. So take, take this moment and, and, and we, we get through this moment and figure out how we could be creative in these other relationships, finding coalition, because housing is going to affect everybody. It's not just African, maybe different, disproportionately. What are we talking about job creation? When we talk about infrastructure expansion and, re and development, all those things are things that are going to be on the table and that we have to play with and we have to navigate through. We, we when we think about that. And of course, out, out the one we said, as is, is, is Sister Malvo has said, what, what about HR 40? You know, what about reparations? How do we, at the same time, manage that discourse and has shaped that discourse. And at the same time, find the coalitions that we need to build and empower that, that discourse. And I think that's when we talk about the chances of possibilities of, of real change. You know, we can either mass incarceration and what we would call either police reform or a police uh, 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 abolitionist or, or peace police, whatever we want. We have to find something about what does public safety mean to us public safety in our community. 
I remember a story. I, I remember uh, when I was doing a film in Savannah, Georgia, and I was asked to come meet the young sister who was the mayor of, of, uh, um, of, uh, of, of Savannah, Georgia, because my people were from Georgia. And so she, and I was shooting the film there, and she, and she said, I need you to go down to the, to the community and talk to sort of brothers down there. And I asked her for what? You got any political projects that are going to change their life? <laughs> Basically, this is a political project. They're going to change their life, going to change their circumstances. What am I doing? What is, what is my taking a picture doesn't change the nature of their lives? What's happening is what we do coming together and defi defining, define, de defining those and arguing about it and discussing it and learning and learning and growing at the same time. That's what's going to change the movement, continue to, to move forward in the movement and, and hopefully bring about the qualitative change we talk about. Thank you. Amen. Amen. No, that's a powerful word, brothers. Right. How are we going what are we doing to impact and and literally change people's lives? That's important. And if we can pick cotton and now pick we pick presidents, that's us. Mm -hmm. If we can do that, we can pick an agenda mm -hmm. and demand that that agenda be implemented. We we have to know our own power. So they wouldn't be nothing without us. Yeah. But I got I I gotta move quickly though. Many and I share. Uh, both of our parents spent a minute at the post office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, the reason that that's relevant is because we we know what the post office used to do. Yeah. We know what the post office is doing now. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah. never forget my mom learning those zip codes and she had the little cards and she was learning them. And I'm sure your folks did the same thing the, as they the, the, the moved, same thing, you know. As they throw, moved up the ladder. Scheme. That's what it's throwing their scheme is it was. And, yep, and, and yep. but that's but the way I know, to, 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 but you know, the post office now has become a political ploy. And that's something that we have to really deal with in the next administration. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I love you dearly. <laughs> Yeah, we love you, Danny Glover, as always, brother. And it was right, HR 42. We got to be about that business. Um, we're going to bring back for some uh, concluding remarks uh, our host for the evening. Uh, even though this is virtual, we're still in Newark, and he's our host. And um, the brother and I, man, it's been over 30 years since we were students together organizing in D.C. And I know you all are amazed by that because we still look like both of us, we in our 20s and 30s. Amen. No, Black no, don't, don't. don't do that. No, don't. All right, let's cut her mic off. Um, <laughs> so, so, <laughs> once again, my brother, Mayor Roz Baraka. Thank you, Ma. I appreciate it, Rev. I appreciated uh, those remarks uh, from, uh, you know, Danny Glover were, were right on the money. In fact, the remarks that everybody made, I think, were very poignant and clear uh, and, and is very important, particularly in this time period. Uh, I just got finished listening uh, to you guys and to Donald Trump saying that he, he was cheated. And I, I just thought that was pretty ironic because we've been cheated for 400 years. Uh, we've been cheated out of our labor, out of housing, out of our lives, out of proper medicine. We've been cheated over and over and over and over again. And he's talking about a, a, a process of, of, of trying to stop people from voting, uh, you know, which is reminiscent of what they legally did and tried and, and stopping us from voting in this country for so many decades uh, uh, here. And this is a case of the chickens coming home to roost. The very people that he tried to prevent from voting are the very people that's voting his butt out of there. 
uh, as they wait for the votes in Philadelphia to come in, as they wait for the votes in Atlanta to come in, as they wait for the votes in Las Vegas to come in, as they wait for all these votes in all these big cities uh, where we are, uh, black and brown and working people are, the people we try to prevent from voting are the very people who are going to throw him out of there. And I think that that is incredibly ironic and, it, and, it, and it is God's work. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that because it, it, it needs to happen. Whatever we feel about uh, a Biden or the Democratic Party, we know we need to get rid of this guy. This guy has got to go. He is the most vile the most dangerous sector of white supremacy and capitalism uh, in this country. And if we continue to allow him and his cohorts, and I say cohorts because he's not even the most dangerous one, there's some dangerous people around him. And, 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 and what we have to come to grips with, what we really have to come to grips with is that this election had to go through all of this, that there are a, a many, many Americans who thought that this man should be the president of the United States again even in the middle of everything that has been happening, it's been ravaging in our communities. They thought he should be uh, the president again. So even if they say they're not racist, they were willing to overlook racism in order to elect this guy as the, the president of the United States. And that's very dangerous. And it's important for us to understand it because it tells us where we are uh, politically and socially in this country. It outlines the climate that we're in. And so that's why this becomes incredibly important. And so we should be fighting for two things, self-determination and democracy. And my father used to say that all the time. We have to fight for democracy. All these institutions in this country should be representing us, particularly since our vote is moving this, moving this democracy. And actually, our votes, uh, along with uh, you know, our Latinx brothers and sisters and working people in this community, are moving this country to be more and more progressive. We ought to fight for representation in every cabinet, every position, every institution. We ought to be represented uh, in this country. And then we have the right to define for ourselves, to develop for ourselves, to build for ourselves. And that is self-determination. And it goes back to what the brother was saying, these guys on the block in, in these communities, we're going to have to deal with the fact uh, that, that they have been uh, uh, affected by living in, 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 in under capitalism and white supremacy has been hurting them, destroying our families, destroying our community. So we have to have, uh, and I'm gonna get to it, we have to have a national agenda, folks. We need a national agenda. We just have to, we have to put all our differences aside and come together. And we don't have to create a national agenda because people worked on it before us. Uh, and we have to stop this, uh, uh, you know, they discontinued our movement. They, they broke it apart. And people today do, uh, uh, do not have the information that came before us. And we just have to read and study. And so not only do we need a national agenda or overall things, the first thing is just get rid of this electoral college. It has to go. We have to be talking about getting rid of the electoral college. We have to be talking about reparations. More importantly, we have to be talking about a fair and just economic system uh, where people are, are not dying uh, on, on, on the maternity table giving birth to children uh, or not dying from, from asthma and, and curable diseases in our country because uh, you know, the, the, the access to health care is incredibly different or the wealth gap is so big and so huge. It'll take 300 years for it to overcome, giving if we follow the, the processes that they put in line. So we need a national agenda, number one. Number two, we need the agenda tied to an international agenda. So we, we, we can't just be talking about what's good for us here. We have to be talking about what's good for us throughout the diaspora and what's good for uh, uh, working people throughout the world. We need an international agenda that brings Malcolm X in to, to bringing our issues to the world court, 
by making sure we have allies on an international level. So any conference that we have going forward sh should not leave out our brothers and sisters in Europe, our brothers and sisters in the, on the continent of Africa, the presidents, the elected officials, the activists, all of them should be involved uh, in, in, in the things that we're doing uh, every day. And, and three, we have to be most, sophistic, most sophisticated enough to put our differences aside. You know, we're not gonna agree on everything. Uh, we, we have 10 things, we disagree on number two and number seven, and we break out and we leave. We can't be like Michigan at the uh, uh, you know, National Black Political Convention in 1972. We gotta stay the course and hold the line. We gotta fight with each other and struggle with each other until we come up with an overall plan. Uh, and we're not gonna agree. 20% of black men didn't vote uh, 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 vote for Biden, I mean, uh, uh, Trump, because they don't agree with us. They don't agree, and that's okay. We have to struggle with them, too. We have to struggle with them, even to the point of saying, you know, uh, you guys have made up your mind that you can't be <laughs> where we are, right? But we have to struggle with each other and be sophisticated enough to do that and do like Congress when it's over, say this is the law, and then, and then begin to move forward on it, understand that we are going to disagree on a whole bunch of things. We're going to disagree. And, but we cannot demonize each other and allow our enemies to pull us apart uh, because what that does is weakens our ability to strike back, to fight back, and create the kind of country and democracy that we want to see. I heard one of the sisters say she's more American than anybody in the White House. That's absolutely the truth. That's what Paul Robeson said. He said, he said his grandfather was a slave, right? He never let no fascist-minded person run him out of this country. If they didn't want us in America, they never should have brought us here. We here now, you stuck with us. And so as a result of that, America is gonna look like us and we're gonna do what we can to shape it into a better, more democratic place uh, because you brought us here and, and that's simply the facts. Uh, and we have to be sophisticated enough to understand that and not run around fighting with each other about who's more radical uh, 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 than the other. And this notion that there are black people who are more black than other black people is uh, an idea of our enemies. And I wanted to end with that because there's a lot of debate on social media. When Kamala Harris was running, people were saying she wasn't black. That is the silliest thing I ever heard of in my life. When I went to Howard University, I met black people from all over the world. Black people that was mi mixed with Jamaicans, that was mixed with Asians, that was mixed with Indians, that was mixed with Europeans. We all over the place, right? Uh, and at this point, uh, it's irrelevant for us to even have that discussion uh, in this point in history. Right now, we should be uniting around what we believe in. We should be right, uniting around our ideas, uniting around our common condition, our common situation. And, and usually if you have a pigmentation that looked like ours, uh, uh, if you have dark skin, then you, you, you've been put in that because history has made that so, but it, doesn't, it didn't make so that you think the way you should be thinking uh, because uh, your mind has been colonized. And so hopefully, hopefully, you know, we can continue to do this. And I want to thank my brother uh, who puts this together all of the time. I just want to, I want to thank him because, uh, you know, he does this almost alone with, with, with very little resources. He put these things together because he loves our people. Uh, he loves freedom and justice. Uh, uh, we know that and we need to support. Every time he does this, we need to support the brother. And, and I do, you know, as much as I possibly can, I make sure that we in Newark uh, 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 stand by Ron Daniels and make sure that this conference is successful uh, and, and that we're involved in it a hundred thousand percent. And that's how we have to treat one another. Whenever we see each other in trouble, 
We got to come to each other's aid and assistance. And, and, and when people have things, even if they're not in trouble, we need to come to each other's aid and yeah. assistance. That's what we have to do. So thank you for coming here. We appreciate everybody that's on this uh, virtual uh, conference. And uh, you're always welcome here in the great city of Newark uh, in the great state of New Jersey. Amen. Thank you, Mayor. We And we second every word you said, and we lift up our beloved ancestor, your father. And if we but knew and understood our history, a lot of the things that are being done now to divide us, his father witnessed and talked to us about, and we cannot allow those things to happen again in our generation. I also want to second what was said about our final speaker. Not only does he do a lot of this um, by himself, um, he always puts himself last um, on the program, on the run of show, to talk about the summation and the call uh, to action. And that's also very humble of him. You know, a lot of folk put themselves in the front or the middle and then they got to go. People who organize themselves on their own programs. Y'all know some of the folk I'm talking about. But he's he opens the door for everyone and then he speaks last. And that's a very humble thing to do. I know he'll do it too. Let me just thank all of the people who've been working with him for a change. He got a small team and a small staff that's been working with him. And he's not always had that when organizing these state of the black world conferences, but we're thankful to the entire team. He'll call you all by name, but without further ado, the uh, founder and convener of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century, Dr. Ron. I'm gonna interrupt you for a moment to both thank uh, Dr. Daniels and to also thank uh, Mayor Baraka uh, and to uh, lift us all up for this opportunity. Uh, I know that you are about to introduce Dr. Daniels, but I would be remiss if I did not just say one or two things uh, about this experience. And the main thing is that we are a community. We're an important community and Dr. Daniels has pulled us all together. Uh, Danny Glover, my brother, my homeboy, um, and so many others. And so uh, Dr. Daniels, we appreciate you and we appreciate the opportunity. Uh, we've done it in 96, we've done it in 2000, done it in 2004, uh, really looking at the what happens to us as black people after a presidential election. So we're grateful. Mark, back to you. Well, it's to me now. So uh, we appreciate that so much. And one of the dangers of being last is that sometimes you don't get a chance to fully say what you need to say. So now I got to do rapid speak in order to be out on time. First of all, this was powerful. This was powerful. It's not. Uh, and, and we really, really, really uh, thank everybody for being involved in it. Let me quickly express my profound appreciations for Mayor Baraka for hosting what I think is a historic national town hall meeting. And likewise to Danny Glover, who never ever says no when we call on him to share his perspective on the way forward for our people. I would also like to also to, uh, to thank all of our media partners. I listed them earlier, uh, Free Speech Television, uh, National, um, uh, the, the Manhattan uh, Neighborhood Network, uh, Real News Network. I mean, 
WPFW, WBAI, all of them are carrying this. And so we got to move so they can go off the air on time. Uh, but we appreciate them uh, airing this important town hall meeting. Uh, and most of all, to the audience. And I've been looking at pieces. Uh, people have been sharing it. I got word that Tamika Mallory jumped in and she splashed it all, all over the place. So that's moving. So we appreciate that, uh, Tamika, for what you've done. Uh, and also uh, for all of you uh, who in the audience who participated. Let me just say, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we, are, we were unable to convene the State of the Black World Conference in Newark on this date as originally planned. As originally planned, we would have had a full-fledged conference going on right now, but the COVID pandemic uh, blocked that from happening. And of course, uh, we, were, we obviously are doing it and want to do it with Mayor Baraka, uh, again, serving as our host. But God willing, and God and the ancestors willing, we will convene the State of the Black World Conference as an in-person gathering in November of 2021, dedicated to the memory of the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. And let me just say that as we envision it, all of the things that Mayor Baraka talked about will be included. We've already been talking about reaching out to heads of state and all across the diaspora, and we usually do anyway. But this time we are really, really going to have that international dimension focused into uh, the State of the Black uh, World Conference. And that's why we are extending the tribute to the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. In the meantime, stay tuned for the announcement of a national town hall meeting to assess the first 100 days. I mean, we gotta, we gotta stay on top of this. And so we will be looking at the first 100 days uh, in terms of having uh, another uh, national town hall meeting. Uh, so we can see what's happening with the first 100 days. Let me just say quickly, I agree with a lot of what was said. I think the, the executive order is going to be important. I know that um, the organizations who are associated with the National African-American Reparations Commission, most notably in COBRA, that has been putting forth the idea that the ex an executive order around HR 40 is essential. The whole notion of what we do in the first 100 days is gonna be critically important. Our ability to get together and collaborate around that is gonna be incredibly important. So the agenda is important. And uh, I started to drop my screen and go back there and pick up my copy from the 1972 agenda because I still got my copy, you know, because I believe in it. I believe in that kind of process uh, and we have to continue to put that forward. So yes, uh, we wanna move forward uh, in the first 100 days. We will have the assessment of the first 100 days. We will be pushing for uh, the State of the Black World Conference hosted by Mayor Barack with his consent, obviously, and Danny will be involved and others uh, in November, uh, God and the ancestors willing, as I said before. Finally, I would be remiss in my responsibility. Yes, we do have a little team working with us now, and we, we are really appreciative for that, but I would be remiss in my responsibility if I did not also extend to the audience an invitation to make a contribution or donation to support our work. When I was back in Youngstown, Ohio, back in the day and joined the NACP, one of the first things I heard is freedom is not free. So this effort is not free. And we, we need you to join us in this effort. We have people who are really supporting our reparations work and other kinds of work. So we want you to go to our website and you can sign on to the newsletter and you can make a donation by visiting the website www.ibw21.org. I think the screen will be showing that uh, very shortly in terms of how you can do that. And finally, and as finally, as everybody has said, Aluta Continua, the struggle is not over. We are in it for the long haul. We will continue to, we are resilient people. As Maya Angelou said, strong women and men keep coming and we are coming 
and we will not let anybody turn us around. Dr. Malvo and to Mark Thompson, thanks for facilitating all of the panels. Thank you so much. And once again, we conclude by saying Aluta continue. Good night. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.